But if we get the golfing, it is not one of our fortes, not mine anyway. Um, I want to share a, a message with you, and the title is United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And I was curious about where this originated, and I looked it up. In Aesop Fables, 6th century B.C., uh, this guy was known for telling stories, and uh, this phrase was in a story about a lion and four oxen. And when the lion would show up, the four, four oxen would back themselves together so all of them, their horns were facing out, and the lion would be discouraged. But after a while, the oxen divided, they, they just kind of lost contact with each other, and the fable was that the lion started picking them off one by one, and the statement was, united we stand, divided we fall. Well, what kind of title is that for a message leading up to Thanksgiving? And I love this time of the year. I'm kind of like my mom. This is the most wonderful time of the year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And to be honest with you, I get nostalgic. I miss our family gathering. I, I wrote my um, siblings, I miss Harpersville. I miss driving there. I miss pulling up the kids Getting out of the car, it was a wild scene. I, I know Brenda, the first time she went, probably thought, what kind of family did I marry into? But uh, it was a tight-knit bunch, but it was a crazy, crazy atmosphere, loud. But what about Thanksgiving? We got Thanksgiving coming up this week, and uh, we got Christmas coming up next month. But uh, we celebrate something that happened back in uh, the 1600s, and that's the uh, Pilgrim's Landing at Plymouth Rock and and finally making friends with the Native Americans there. And uh, and we look, just last month we had Columbus Day and uh, I think we still celebrate that, right? Uh, I know Indigenous Peoples Day is also about that. It's amazing how Columbus is, uh, he's kind of lost his popularity a little bit, right? And uh, you know that when they start tearing down statues, that people are not happy. But I want to I share something with you out of a, a book that I think probably is one of the most important books that I've had on history. Um, how many of you have ever heard of The Light and the Glory? How many have a copy of this? Raise your hand. You have a copy of this. All right, we're going to auction this off here at the end. No. I wouldn't let this go. I've had this book since the 1980s. Um, and I'm going to read something from it just because I just don't think we appreciate the miracle of America. We are truly a miracle. The way this nation was founded and how we've arrived at this point, it is still the greatest nation on the earth. And uh, so many people lean on it. I'm going to read something to you about um, Christopher Columbus who uh, was a map maker. He and his brother were professional map makers and this is why he got a really good, uh, a really strong interest is what's beyond what we have mapped out. And so he had this idea of going sailing west. The furthest I think people had sailed were about 300 miles, but he wanted to get to the Indies. Well, let me just read this, and it'll show you 
something about Christopher Columbus, about his motivation. This is in one of his, uh, he, he journaled, and this is in one of the collection of his journals. And by the way, Peter Marshall and David Manuel are the authors of this. You want to write that down. Peter Marshall's dad was famous as the chaplain at the U.S. Senate. And both of these guys graduated from Yale, and Peter Marshall graduated from the Princeton Theological Seminary. So these were, these were men who really committed their lives to the Lord and got interested in what is America's role? Did, did, was this nation founded as a sovereign move of God? And they found this in some obscure papers in that um, Yale, the old paper part of the library at Yale University. And this is something he quotes. This is Christopher Columbus. It was the Lord who put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There was no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. I am a most unworthy sinner, but I've cried out to the Lord for grace and mercy, and they have covered me completely. I have found the sweetest consolation since I made it my whole purpose to enjoy his marvelous presence. For the execution of the journey to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. No one should fear to undertake any task in the name of our Savior if it is just and if the intention is purely for his holy service. The working out of all things have been assigned to each person by our Lord, but it all happens according to his sovereign will, even though he gives advice. He lacks nothing that, in, that is in the power of men to give him. Oh, what a gracious Lord who desires that people should perform for him those things for which he holds himself responsible. Day and night, moment by moment, everyone should express their most devoted gratitude to him. And it seems like that we have lost that kind of backdrop to our nation, hasn't it? That what he did was unthinkable. Um, I may refer a little bit to Ferdinand and Isabella who really were the only ones that gave him a chance to have this expedition and it took one of the leading men of the church to go to them and says I really believe this is of God and they financed the expedition united we stand divided we fall I'm not so much concerned with what divides us which we could spend a little time on that right I'm more concerned what unites us. And I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 4. In that first part of that phrase, united we stand, divided we fall, I really want to focus on the first part. And you know what I think? I think if we focus on that first part, we don't have to worry about the last part. If we stand on the things that brings us together, I don't think we have to pay too much attention to the things that try to separate us. One actually cancels out the other, right? So I, I, I'm not going to apologize for using so much scripture this, this morning, but I'm going to use a lot of scripture. How's that? This is Ephesians chapter 4, 
And I'm reading out of the NIV because I don't think, I think if we look back at what is going on in our nation, we can see what divides us, right? And we see some of the things that really puts people at odds. But listen, in a culture of, a, of the churches beginning that strained people, that strained culture, that, that strained customs, that strained people from meeting in the same room, worshiping the same Lord, uh, listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church about this. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are, were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's amazing as he's writing this chapter that in verse 3 that he calls people to endeavor, I think the King James says, make every effort to hold on to the unity that we have. We should never take it for granted. Unity is not manufactured in a vacuum. There's a lot of work in unity. There's a lot of work in a good marriage. You could have said, I heard one amen there. <laughs> From this side over here. Because it's almost insulting to me when people say, well, you're lucky you have a good marriage. I said, luck has nothing to do with that. You have no idea. I did how many times I said, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do that again. You know, it's, it's all of this, the endeavor to keep it. This is why I think he used the word endeavor or make every effort because this is one of the hardest things to hold on to. It's staying together, staying with one another and working through all of the things that try to pull us apart that we stay in the purpose of God and the conditions that lend themselves to being in unity. Live a life worthy of the call of God. Every day we should think about, how am I living out my life in the presence of the Lord who sees everything and knows everything, knows every thought, knows every inclination, that knows everything about us, that knows more about us than we know about ourselves. Amen. And he says, live as the called people, people who are called out of darkness into light, his glorious light, that illuminating presence of the Lord's presence. Be humble and gentle. This is the opposite of having it my way. This is giving way what we want in preference for what he wants. Be patient. Boy, that just comes natural for us, doesn't it? Be patient. And allow for times when you and I prefer and really desire the disposition of love, considering others above ourselves, bearing with one another, not going after what we want, but going out after what God wants in our relationships. You know, it ought to be hard for division to come into our ranks. It ought to be hard to divide us. 
But I'm afraid that too often we find ourselves on opposite sides of some things. We must guard what Paul is laying out. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is the Holy Spirit given to us as the helper, that parakletos that Jesus spoke about so much in John. When he was at Last Supper, he's talking about, I'm going to give you another helper, another comforter. It's that one who's called alongside to help. He says, and this would be someone who will take my place in your existence. He said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you without help. I'm going to send one just like me to help you. And who doesn't want peace? <laughs> right? Just want a little peace and quiet. How many times have we said that? A calm, this calmness. We don't, we, turmoil gets old really quick. Peace, we can, we can handle peace, right? But God is not the author of confusion. But he's the, he is the author of what? Peace. He doesn't have this tumultuous uh, tone to him, he brings us together. He doesn't divide us. So when something is trying to divide us, I can tell you it is not of him. It's got to be coming from some other direction. And this means that we're not going to accommodate shady doctrine or, or what someone else is saying is doctrine. I just think that God wants us to stay within the word of God and live out what we know it says because there's some things like in Revelation that we don't know. We just don't know. You know, I, 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 you know, Brad and I have this conversation about eschatology every now and then. And in my old age, this is what I've come to. Jesus is coming when he gets ready. Hallelujah. Is it tomorrow? Could be. I don't think he's going to check with anybody's breakdown of the book of Revelation before he says, well, we can't come because they've got us coming later. But what we do know is that every day he gives us, he gives us for a purpose, and that purpose is to live in unity with him and in oneness with him and with each other. This is why he's, Paul is making such, and he's talking about a culture that he was strained as a Jewish man, and yet he seemed to be okay with the Gentiles coming in. But don't ask Peter about what he thought about Gentiles coming in, because he struggled with it, didn't he? I want to tell you something about the Christian faith. There's no interfaith that meets with the Christian faith. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you that works in the hospital, they have an interfaith room, right? You know what that means. People from different faiths. And somehow there's people who think that Christianity should just kind of embrace all the good in other religions and we just all be one happy people in the world. Christianity does not allow for a different Jesus. I've told people before that you cannot be a Mormon and a Christian. And you cannot be a Jehovah Witness and a Christian because both of them define Jesus differently than what the Bible defines him. Jehovah Witness says Jesus never died on the cross so therefore was never raised from the dead. And the Mormons believe that Jesus had a beginning as the Son of God 
that he was not eternally existent in the past. And their, their, their stuff, I, I'm not even going to try to go there. Stay away from it, okay? And pray for those people in the white shirts that's on bicycles that nobody will run over them and that somebody will witness to them about the truth. But I'm just saying there's no interfaith with Christianity. We can't just become consolidated with other ideas that stands alone as a separate revelation of God, that Jesus is the answer. Now follow this. In verse 7, I said we're going to do a lot of scripture this morning. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's given us all the portion of grace that we need. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It's kind of like last week when we talked about grace and mercy and that grace and gifts come from the same word. That he gives grace. It's a gift from God and he continually gives, he gives grace. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip. Watch this in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach. What's that word? Unity. That he's given us all these office gifts and he's given all kind of gifts so that we can reach a place where we're not at each other's throats. That we don't have opposition. We're not adversaries. We are part of the body of Christ. That we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Grace has been, has been given to us. And he gives grace and he gives these leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, all of them to minister to the people of God so that we grow into this unity. We are living life together. We're doing life together. We are the family of God. There's an old song. I wonder what happened to those songs. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. <clears throat> the only thing I remember about that song is when my brother-in-law, who's now the district superintendent of Tennessee, bless his heart, he would do things to try. He, I wouldn't let him sit on the front row because while I was preaching, he'd make faces at me. I said, you're sitting, you're sitting up here with me from now on. He thought it was the funniest thing, just distracted me. And then we'd sing that song, I'm so glad I'm a part of, of the family of God. And he would just belt it out right next to him. I'm so glad I'm a part of assemblies of God. I've, and, and he'd just do stuff like that. We were having problems being in unity on the platform. But we're, we're, we were trying to convey to the people of God that we can live in unity. We don't have to be adversaries. We should not be adversarial with each other. There's a lot of space for forgiveness until we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And Paul is just getting warmed up here. <laughs> he really, about this togetherness stuff and unity, he is really just starting to get warmed up. In verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be Infants, crybabies. 
It doesn't say that, but I think we ought to be bigger than that, right? <laughs> we ought to be past that. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. says, we should be beyond that. Instead, we should be speaking the truth in love. How many wants to welcome someone speaking the truth in love? Brother, I love you, but I need to tell you something. He says, we will grow in... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Three verses that express the purpose of our Lord and his church. From him the whole body were joined together in love. Each of us doing our part. You know, when it comes to unity, the value of being together in Christ, fitted together, we, we have to be on high alert to what challenges that unity. We ought to be, we ought to be with a radar when we sense that something is trying to divide us. That something is subtly trying to drive a wedge between us. Verse 17. So I'll tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Here we go. But not to the Gentiles that have been born again because he doesn't talk like that about them. The Gentiles who in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. What are the dangers around us? You can best believe they want to take your eyes away from what is the righteousness of God into the impurities of self-focused what I want and what pleases me sometimes is not the same as what pleases God and what draws us in unity to him celebration of the flesh sensuality, impurity, self-centeredness these are all things they promote individuality at the expense of being together as a group we're not really supposed to go out of our way to hurt somebody's feelings, right? Like Jesus, he never hurt anybody's feelings. Sometimes speaking the truth in love is not going to give you, oh, God bless you. Thank you for telling me that. Have you ever had somebody to really speak the truth in love to you and at first it hurt your feelings and after you got to think about it, it says, they're right on. They are right on. I was not handling that situation right. Instead, we should be asking ourselves, what pleases the Lord? What is going on in our lives that we know he's pleased with that? That he hears our heart. He hears what we say. You're talking about challenges in the early church. 
Jews and Gentiles worshiping in the same room? That's a miracle. Because they did not like each other at all. And God had to give Peter an absolute overwhelming vision on a rooftop to convince him that these Gentile people that was going to be knocking on the door any minute, that he's supposed to go with them and take the word of God to not only a Gentile, a Roman soldier Gentile in his house, which he wasn't even supposed to step into a Gentile's house. And you know he let him know that he... <laughs> you got to love Peter. I'm not supposed to be here because you are dirty, rotten Gentiles. He didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here because we're better than you. He thought that way too. <laughs> That's the reason why he didn't want to go, and God had to give a vision. And, and lo and behold, Pentecost broke out in that Gentile's home. And he witnessed exactly what happened to them in the upper room. And you know somebody who really knew Peter's heart? really thought that they could talk to him about that and says, what are you doing over there? He says, well, God made me. <laughs> God made me go talk to them. And, you know, Paul seemed like he was okay with God saving people that were not Jews. But Peter later on at a dinner didn't want to sit at the same table that Gentiles were sitting at. And you know what? Paul called him out in front of everybody. That's not what? That's, that's not unity. <laughs> That's not how unity looks like. None of us would do anything like that, right? Listen, we will always be fighting some kind of battle. If you're not fighting one now, just hold on. It's coming. And, and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to chapter 4 here, verse 20. All about this. That however, that however is not the way, what we just, is not the way of life you've learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. And that's something we have to do. He doesn't put off our old self. We have to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is positive. This is not the negative anymore. This is what he's calling us. This is how it's supposed to work. But here comes the negative. You must put off falsehood and, and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. How good are we at that? Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. We don't let that happen, right? And only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He gives us, he gives us, uh, don't do this and do this. And he lays them next to each other because they're opposites. And he says, over here is what 
He's calling us to be in unity. In the season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's, this can be one of the most depressing times for people. Especially when we've lost someone in the family. And it can be melancholic for me, just missing, missing the meetings that I was so, was so rewarding to me. And yet this is when we allow the Holy Spirit to take us past all of that and instill in us the purpose of God and the wisdom of God and how God wants us to be well and think well. I think it's a good idea that what divides us or what the enemy is constantly trying to use us, that we see it and we feel it and we reject it. When we see it coming, when we see something is being talked about that's different, because I can tell you this, it wasn't that long ago, and I want our praise team to come up, it wasn't that long ago that the culture of the Sabbath, you know what I'm talking about, that Sunday is the Sabbath, I want you to know that I work on the Sabbath every week. I love working on the Sabbath. You know, that's what Jesus said about the priests is that they work on the Sabbath. They're out there killing animals and sacrifice. They're working. And yet we get this idea, and there was the, the, the culture used to be that on Sunday it was like treated like Saturday in the Jewish culture. You remember that? You didn't do anything. You know, we were we were made to take naps on Sunday. It was like torture. But it wasn't that long ago we had a, a group out there playing softball on a Sunday afternoon. And next Sunday, a, a dear fellow, bless his heart, came up to me and says, Is it true that last Sunday some kids out there on the Sabbath was playing baseball? I said, No, that, that's not true. They were actually playing softball. <laughs> See, that's the smart aleck in me. I'm sorry. I said, no, I said, they were playing softball. Well, you know what I'm talking about. I said, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they were, they were out there playing. What are we going to do? Take some of their reward in heaven away from them? Says, you're not going to get what you're going to get because you played out on the church. I'm just telling you, see how we can devise rules that divide us. God doesn't want that. He wants to unite us. And even when we disagree, maybe, and there's, I wanted to, I wanted to ask, is there anyone here that wants to do everything right? Don't raise your hand. But in your own mind, is there anyone in here that wants to do everything right? When it's impossible to do everything right. That's not the excuse to do something wrong, but I'm just telling you that we can look at someone else and say, well, they, they're doing something and that, I don't think they should be doing that. Maybe we're doing something that we should be doing. United, we stand. Divided, we're not going to help each other. We have different angles of theology. I've come, I've been around so long. Our, 
R.C. Sproul and Reformed Theology. I can listen to that man preach any time. Am I right on with him with all of his doctrinal views? No, but I'm telling you, he, he's deceased. He loves the Lord, and, and it's not a big deal to me. It, it stopped being a big deal to me if I, if I heard somebody's angle doctrinally and theologically is, is different from what I have embraced. I want to be one with that person because of the name of Jesus and not necessarily you know what I think it'd be the mercy of God if God doesn't point out when we get there how wrong we were on some of the stuff I just believe he's going to welcome us there and we'll be glad that there's not a review <laughs> but I want you to stand with me and there's one thing I want you to just pray in your heart this morning is Lord Help me to pursue wellness and wholeness in your kingdom, in my own family. And if you're in distress with family members, get that healed in Jesus' name. And and at your work, let go of things that are harboring in you that that is harmful. It's hurting you. It's, It's possessing your attention. And I don't know what, but I just believe the Holy Spirit wants us to be so free that He will speak immediately to us. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have thought that about them. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have criticized them. You hadn't spoke. You, you shouldn't have spoken to them that way. And Lord, I, I just pray that we will be in Ephesians four people, endeavoring, making every effort everything in us to be in unity of the spirit and in the bond of peace our world is so divided and our nation is so divided in some ways but Lord may your church refuse to go that way may the people of God refuse to allow the outside noise to affect us to the point that it disrupts our own relationships within your body. It's your purpose, Lord, that we be one. That was your prayer. Father, make them one. As we are one. And I pray that over. I pray that over us today, Lord, to let go of offense. God is speaking to you about something you need to lay at his feet I invite you to come to this front and just say Lord here's here's this pain I've been harboring here's this this has hurt me long enough I don't want to live with this pain anymore I let it go I let it go this morning because I want to be one with you and I want to be one with 